What's going on everyone and welcome to another episode of the Oli Canoli Show. Today I had the honor and privilege to talk to Laura. She is a teacher all the way in Spain and she teaches at a German school. And she told me all about the school system and what she goes through there, what it was like and what inspired her to become a teacher. She also talks about what it was like teaching in America, France and teaching in Spain. We talk about so many different things like her love for the violin, her love for the arts and the orchestra and playing in a string quartet, but we also talk about social media and the effect it has on her students. And be really excited to listen to the stuff that she says are unpopular opinions. I'm going to say first and foremost, I kind of agree with some of those. So be tuned, be ready, here it is. So Laura, what are you passionate about? So I like the violin, I play the violin since I'm eight years old. And I also like literature, that's what I studied. And I also love this, to go to the theater. I, I write, I write poetry, so that's a, another passion. And cinema, it's okay. another of my... So it seems like a lot of your stuff is in like the arts. Like, can you elaborate as to why you kind of like dove headfirst into like the arts and stuff? Mm -hmm. I really like believe that art can like change the world in a sense where you can not only express your feelings, which is has like a therapeutic um, kind of um, aspect of it. Mm -hmm. You can really like mm, it saves you if you are in a bad moment, but it can also have like a social aspect, a social impact. I, yeah. I really believe that. No, no, I like that because even for me, like a lot of times I'll look at quotes from like, thousands of years ago, mm -hmm. hundreds of years ago, and how that quote can still stand the test of time today. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of nice to see even like poetry and like Shakespeare, like mm -hmm. Shakespeare apparently created words, like in the English language, yeah. like yeah. hundreds of words that he just made up. Mm -hmm. So it's cool to see how like all that poetry art has stood the test of time. Yeah, yeah. There is like, I think it's not only a dialogue with people who are not in this world anymore. It's also like you can empathize with people who felt the same way like maybe 500 years ago. So yeah. it's still... Yeah, no, yeah. it's awesome. So what are some of your favorite artists or like people in that field that you kind of admire? Mm, especially Spanish, I would say, because it's what I most like write, read about and write in Spanish. Mm -hmm. So especially Spanish writers and poets um, like Lorca. He was even in New York. So when I was mm -hmm. in New York, I was even doing the tour that he did. And um, yeah, especially that, this kind of... Yeah. yeah. No, it's awesome. I remember, I think I took like a Spanish class and we read the Don Quixote, mm -hmm. which is like, it was like a simple story, but like apparently it's really famous enough for us to read it. So I'm yeah, assuming for yeah. you guys, we probably read it in like what? Like yeah, yeah. No, it's the, I think the bestseller of uh, Spanish literature mm -hmm. and it's, yeah, like 300 years old, but still it's, it's modern because it's like a simple story, but it has many levels to it. Mm -hmm. Like in the surface level, you just think, okay, Don Quixote is just a crazy man. But in reality, he's not crazy. He's actually like going against the system. Like mm -hmm. he's, he's fighting for what he wants. That's why people think he's crazy. But yeah, there's like many levels of interpretation. That's, yeah, that would make it. I think that's yeah. something I've always personally liked about literature. Like even in like classes that I took in high school, my mm -hmm. favorite classes were the classes I was able to raise my hand and we'd talk in the class about why mm -hmm. we do, why would you think this, why do you think this, and everyone always makes fun of it and they say, oh, the author said the water was blue today. Why mm -hmm. was the water blue? And then the teacher tells you like yeah, all these yeah. different stories of why the water was blue. It's like maybe the water was blue, but there's always that deeper meaning in literature, yeah, which yeah. I think I really like as well. Yeah, I actually think that the human needs this fiction. Uh, like we need fiction to like the storytelling was always there to like teach us things about mm -hmm. life and 
like we always needed that even in the in the bible that's little yeah. stories that were told to teach something so mm -hmm. yeah no especially yeah. that and me being muslim as well like in all abrahamic religions mm -hmm. knowing the storytelling it's that's how the generations knew the yeah, next generation exactly. the next generation yeah. even if it comes down to like grandma's recipe of cookies what is mm -hmm. it really told it's written down but then it's told it's practiced it's shown mm -hmm. so it's cool to see like We think of it as, oh, it's just some boring book that we have to read for class. But actually, yeah. there's a yeah. deeper meaning to it. Exactly. No, yeah. that's awesome. So you also spoke about the violin. Can you dive into like as why violin was the main instrument? And is it mm -hmm. different than the viola? Because to me, they look the same. <laughs> so I would love to know the difference. It is different. And violist players would be right now super mad <laughs> because <laughs> all the jokes in the orchestra are about violas. So uh, it's the <laughs> instrument where people don't know anything about. And it's very similar to the violin. Like physically, it's almost the same. It's a little bigger and a little deeper. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, and the violin has almost all the melody parts so it's like yeah that's why they get a little bullied mm -hmm. but um why the why the violin i think uh, when i was small i was always watching these like orchestra pieces where uh, i looked at the vibrato and for me that was like magic and and that's why i got like into into the violin concretely but because also my family I'm like 25% German mm -hmm. and my German part uh, was like a musician family. So my yeah. grandma played the piano. My great grandpa was like a orchestra director and he like, that's why there's like still this tradition in the family. And I went to this like music school um, with my sisters too. So everybody had an instrument and I picked the violin and since then. Yeah. yeah. What age did you just like pick it up? I started at eight years old. Okay. And it was actually really hard because the, the music school, like in Spain, if you do like a music school instead of like particular classes, you do mm -hmm. like every afternoon you have like a few hours of different like mm, different things, like not only the violin, but also like orchestra class, also like music theory, music history, choir, like you have a lot of... So it was intense. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine because it's almost like the whole school system was built upon majority, mm -hmm. like to learn that instrument, to know it from inside out, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. What was, what was like the hardest part about that? I think um, I was unlucky with some teachers and that was the hardest part because if the teacher is not really into the pedagogical part of like teaching, mm -hmm. um, some of the teachers that you find in these music schools are just like musicians and yeah. want to be solo like solo players and that's why they are kind of frustrated and they don't like to teach and that's why they're really hard and they want you to really like um, be playing like eight hours a day um like really that that is your life and yeah. if you're not like super committed into like playing a lot then they can be Yeah. yeah, it can be hard. Like in I can this, see that, yeah. In this movie, like Whiplash, like mm -hmm. there you see a little bit like how discipline works and yeah. Even in um, I know Karate Kid, like mm -hmm. the new one with Jaden Smith. Like, it is right? similar, It's similar yeah. where she's sitting there on, you know, playing an instrument and there's that intensity where it's like mm -hmm. you have to work, practice, practice, work, work, practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It gets like that a little bit. And with some instruments like the violin, it gets even harder because so many people play the violin. The competition. There's a lot of competition, yeah. yeah. So you need to go to competitions and go to play uh, solo concerts and like do, do, do all the time. Mm -hmm. So no, there is a lot of pressure. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And what's your favorite part about it? 
The favorite part is actually to discover why I'm doing it and to play with other people mainly. Like mm -hmm. I love to play with, for example, string quartets, like little little groups of people where we all like enjoy playing and we don't like play for the concert, but because we really enjoy it and yeah. we can like improvise and, you know. Yeah. And that makes mm. sense because like obviously you want to just have fun doing it. Like yeah. If you're not having yeah. fun doing it, then what's the point? Yeah, exactly. Like I discovered this like after years of doing this music school, mm -hmm. I realized like years after with friends that I could just improvise and not play with any like music sheets. And that is really what makes me happy like yeah. about music that, that you makes... can really like make things and projects with other people and enjoy it. And yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's cool because even in like sports as an athlete, there's so many mm -hmm. athletes I've talked to in my life. They're like, oh, I stopped playing and I ask them why. Like, why did you stop playing? Like, you were so good and you're so talented. Oh, like a mm -hmm. coach made me fall out of love with the sport. Yeah. But yeah. Then when you hear that, you're like, wow, like you were so good and talented at it and you like doing it. it yeah. About one bad teacher, one bad coach can make you go, I give up. Absolutely. I think especially because in teenager times where you have maybe your self-esteem is a little low and if you on top of that have a has a have a teacher that don't, doesn't believe in you then that's what you need like really yeah. somebody pushing you and saying like you are good like keep going and yeah, yeah. and that's what so a string quartet is like just a group of people that want to play for fun is that yeah especially strings would be like two violins a viola a cello and a bass for example that would be like a string group like okay. quartet is usually four people, but it could be three, it could be five, yeah. Like, no, it makes sense. Mm. And it's cool too because like I've never played an instrument before. I think it's because mm -hmm. I would make too much noise in the house, so my dad made <laughs> sure that I didn't have an instrument. But I always wonder like it's cool like when you see the different like levels within music. It's like it's not just to play an instrument, but you said the music theory. Do you understand why music mm -hmm. makes sense? Like why it sounds good, why it doesn't sound good? Even when you have mm -hmm. look back at the history, what did music mean in this culture? What did music mean to this culture? Yeah, why yeah. does every culture have such a different sound? Right? There's mm -hmm. like the Arabian mm -hmm. sound. Everyone can hear it, right? Yeah, exactly. The, the Spanish sound. The, mm -hmm. Even like we think about American sounds, right? Mm -hmm. Even when you think about the country sound, right? Like yeah. the American South yeah. grit sound, right? they all have a different culture so out of it all like you obviously within are in spanish culture mm -hmm. so what about like the spanish culture of like literature music and like energy that you personally like a lot mm -hmm. mm, i would say i like a lot the folkloric part of it like the uh, for example in music it would be like the flamenco style that comes really from the gypsy gypsy culture mm -hmm. that is uh, really something that was mainly improvised and melodies that had patterns like in jazz music and that were repeated but kind of altered every time mm -hmm. and and that's what m m most like uh, attracts me like also in, in poetry would be something like these uh, it's called romance like romances mm -hmm. that are like written poetry but really it comes from oral Mm -hmm. A culture where people were like, I know, telling stories, and that would be like in like uh, in a song. So it would be like music and literature mm -hmm. mixed, and yeah, I oh. would. I really like that. Okay, yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. And if you had to give like a piece of advice to someone who wants to play an instrument, or wants to get into again that craft, like what would would be like your number one piece of advice for it? Mm -hmm. I would say um, first maybe to to know what you like because um many people just learn an instrument through classical music and that's not not the only style of music that exists so it could be interesting if you really like like jazz music to start with jazz music directly 
because yeah, mostly the the classic musicians start in in this classical way, playing Mozart and stuff, and then they realize ten years later, like no, I really like jazz music. So it's hard to switch. Yeah. Once you have like started, but yeah, maybe that, maybe like figure out what you like and and go for it and. And really believe in yourself. That's mm -hmm. the most, the, the main No, I love that. that, yeah. And again, going off of you talking about teachers and stuff, and I know that mm -hmm. you yourself are a teacher. Yeah. So could you kind of give me a little bit of the history as to why, like, you decided to be a teacher and mm -hmm. the different places where, like, you got your first start of teaching and go on, going on for that? Mm -hmm. So I'm a teacher of, uh, like, uh, high school, so from fifth grade to twelfth grade. Mm -hmm. And... I first wanted to be teacher in eighth grade when I was in eighth grade myself because mm -hmm. I had a really good teacher and I wanted to inspire like he inspired me. So mm -hmm. I wanted to be that teacher where like all teenagers have like bad times. Like I don't think it's a, a like a, I don't know, easy time for anybody. Yeah, so especially that age. Yeah, exactly. So you need people who are like inspiring and that, that's what like... That was my my drive, mm -hmm. yeah. And since then, like I studied um, Spanish literature to become a Spanish literature teacher, but I didn't know if like in Spain or in Germany because I have some family there. So I was like, I first did like an internship in France, and was there like an assistant teacher in like an yeah kind of a like a school high school too, where mm -hmm. people were like staying. Some some teenagers lived in the school. It was yeah. like a boarding school? Or yeah, exactly. A boarding okay. school. Yeah. So. And after I started studying in Germany for to become a teacher there. And then suddenly I uh, got the Fulbright scholarship. So I had to like interrupt all. I was like, okay, I need to go to the US, do one year there. I was here like to, to teach at the university in Susquehanna. Mm -hmm. And uh, after that year, COVID, and then I had the choice, like, do I need to like, come back to Germany or do I want to like go back to Spain so I I just co like, continued in Spain mm -hmm. with the with uh, the masters of teaching and now uh, then I I got the the offer to uh, teach in the German school in Madrid and that's where I am now okay so, so do you teach in the German school do you teach in Spanish or in Spanish yes okay. yes but is it German students living in Spain or is it just Spanish students it's that both learn? really it's both it's uh, mainly people who have like some family uh, that is German but mm. not necessarily some of them are just Spanish who wants to like want to like get into German and yeah so it's I would say like 50% or 60% is like some family or relative has are German mm -hmm. and the rest is like yeah many like kids have diplomat parents or parents who like are businessmen and have yeah many are German and just are in Spain because they they travel a lot and, yeah yeah no that's awesome and it's cool because every time I've traveled and went to Europe I have a cousin that lives in Italy he lives in Roma and mm -hmm. he goes to the international school in Roma and he is telling me that They speak Italian, English. They, some of them mm -hmm. speak a lot of Spanish, some French, some, and all these different languages in one yeah. school. But like when you go to America, like no one's speaking multiple languages. And if you do speak another language, it's either you're speaking Spanish, you're speaking Arabic. If like I speak Arabic, so it's like Spanish, Arabic, or like that's it. There's not a lot of people who actually speak Italian who live in America mm -hmm. or German even. So you know it's what I mean? True. So it's interesting yeah. to see yeah. like 
in Europe, they can speak anything, you know, like so many yeah, different everybody languages. Everybody knows English in Europe. So like you have to like obligatory language is English. And then after you have like in the German school, for example, you can, yeah, you learn Spanish and, and German first, then English. And then you have the, the also optional French. So you have four languages <laughs> yeah. at the end. How many yeah. languages do you speak? Those four, right? because I'm a, actually, it's funny because I'm also a student of the German school. So I mm -hmm. came back to my own school, which was at, at the beginning, it was weird because I'm, I was like teaching with my former teachers. Yeah. So they became my friends suddenly were, yeah. How, was that like almost a weird experience to like, then now it's to go from like peer, like colleague into from like teacher right you know what I mean like yeah, they taught yeah, you, but yeah. now you're a colleague the first months were a little weird because I had to really like make like it's a mentality thing really it's just thinking like okay th these are my colleagues and especially if I idealized a person that was my teacher and was super cool teacher it's like okay he's my colleague I can be at the same level with them like yeah. you know it's yeah like you're here now too it's like you were yeah. yeah you were a pupil at one point but now it's like oh you've leveled up yeah, enough to yeah. be with in the same room yeah, exactly. No, that's awesome. And out of all the languages that you speak, which mm -hmm. one do you think is the easiest that like you think you would learn if you had to like relearn any of them that you know mm -hmm. all them now, right? And you had to yeah. pick an order. Like, what would you say be the best order in order to actually know the next language faster? If you had to mm -hmm. like one to four. Okay, I think the most difficult one is German. Mm -hmm. And the easiest one to learn is English, but they're pretty much, they have the same roots. So mm -hmm. if you know German, it's super easy to like uh, to learn English. Mm -hmm. For a Spanish person, it's not that easy to learn English, I think, because the accent. But yeah, for a Spanish person, it's easier to lear, learn French, for mm -hmm. example, which are also the same roots, same grammar kind of. So Yeah, even in yeah. like Spanish to Arabic, there's so many words that are very similar. Mm -hmm. That's but true. Even though yeah. Arabic is like a very difficult language, like one of the hardest languages to mm -hmm. learn, there's so many things in like Spanish that I, when I was learning Spanish, I was like, I actually know a lot of these words, like azúcar, arroz, yeah. like they have similar roots. Yeah, so many you, the the words that uh, start with al, for example, mm -hmm. I heard that's also like Arabic. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's cool when you see like how languages can, when you know that language, now you can talk to all those different types of people. Mm -hmm. Boom. Mm -hmm. So it's awesome that in Europe, like that's such a promoted thing. And you think yeah. that's like one of that's one of the differences between like American schooling versus like European schooling. Mm -hmm. Like probably like the biggest difference you think or no? Hmm. I think that and also maybe the, I don't know, I have not personally an experience with high schools here, mm -hmm. but what I have heard is that, for example, in history class, they don't like, they see only one part where in Europe we learn, for example, American history, but here we like, you know, like mm -hmm. it's more, it's maybe more, um, more divided. Yeah. Uh, here you don't learn for example for me it was crazy that you don't learn like african-american history or what happened mm. to the indigenous people or um i don't know yeah. vietnam war or even about european history uh not only just the romans but what happened recently mm -hmm. uh, not only the nazis but also you know like yeah. a, a more more complete uh, history class mm -hmm. but and it was yeah. you say that history classes regardless were just more complete anyways like you had sections off that were like african-american history european history um went into like american history and like it was sectioned off within one class for example like say if i was in sixth grade mm -hmm. from fall semester to the spring mm -hmm. you were taking all of it within one year and it was just getting more and more every mm -hmm. year or was it more 
specified. It was more like in history class, you got all of those like topics inside of it, but not like classes. Yeah, mm -hmm. more like, yeah, topics. Okay, because I remember when I went to high school, my freshman year was like American history, basically, right? Mm -hmm. And it was all of it, like from start to finish, like throughout all the years, we went through the entire timeline from the declaration and a little bit before. Mm -hmm. So it was awesome to do it that way. But then my 10th grade year was, you took like the AP version of it. Mm -hmm. You know, so you took like, that was the option, right? You took AP United States history. Yeah. But then yeah. the next year, I was had the option to take AP Euro history. Oh, okay. So I took like a European history course. But the funny thing was, was when I was in that European history class, it was weird because we would learn things like um, about like, like the Vatican, the, the Catholic Empire, this, this, the different things that they did. Um, even when the guy who put the nail on the board, uh, Luther, Martin Luther, Luther yeah. right, learned about that. And that was cool. But then I felt as if they kept bringing back American history in the system. You know, uh, okay. like they kept yeah. relating yeah. it back to American history and back to American history. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you never actually learned just a European history. There's always yeah. a reason why the Americans were involved somehow. Mm -hmm. So then you kind of learned specific things. So yeah. I didn't feel yeah. like I actually learned that much European history. I couldn't tell you what was going on in the yeah. French Revolution realistically in the 1800s and 1900s. Yeah. But I knew the one that where the American and the French fought. Mm -hmm. See what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah. I can see kind of how that was different. And definitely yeah. we did not learn about <laughs> any yeah. African-American history. And like, I know we had like a small chapter of like, like Asian-American history or something. But again, it was because they were immigrants who then built the railroads yeah, yeah. In, in California or something, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's And still it's like to be critical also with the European system. Like we don't learn anything about Asia or Africa. So that's also like very European and maybe American-centered. Yeah. End, like... Yeah, like the yeah. Eurocentric uh, mm -hmm. ideology of, of yeah. like, history, yeah. yeah. And the reason why I know a lot of, like, African history and, like, Middle Eastern history is because, again, like, me being Egyptian, of my course. parents would teach me. And they would tell me, yeah. like, oh, actually, this is what happened in the war here within this region. Mm -hmm. And when America got involved, when this country got involved, this is what happened. So when we would learn it in class, like you're saying, they're yeah. teaching it from one side. I would raise my hand and be like, actually, I learned that this is this. And the teacher mm -hmm. didn't know. So now this wow. history teacher is teaching me something that they don't know about. That I know now both perspectives, yeah. but they're only teaching the side of American history. Mm -hmm. So then all those kids are going to have the perception of America as this yeah. winner, yeah. this, this. Like, and they're not going to write about the bad things. Yeah. They're going to write about the good things. So are you really learning like deep parts of history, like from both perspectives? Mm -hmm. You know, even we think about like the slave trade, right? You're not really going into like what was in the slave, going on in the slave trade, who was really moving the slave trade, what ethnic ethnic backgrounds did they actually hail from, mm -hmm. the wars that happened because of it. It like leaves that out and just focuses mm -hmm. on the bad that happened during here in America. But it yeah. misses out all the bad that happened in Africa after you just take millions of people. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. So especially mm -hmm. the Native American. I feel like the Native Americans, like even in our history books, we – when you're younger, like in elementary school, it's like, oh, we celebrate Thanksgiving. And so Thanksgiving is when we ate with the pilgrims. And I'm like, yeah. And then you get older, you laugh because you're like, that yeah. is not what happened. Yeah. They gave them disease. They murdered them and took all their land. Mm -hmm. They didn't sit at a table and eat together. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And if you compare also the types of conquer conquests and colonizings mm -hmm. in, in the whole world, like it's crazy what happened in North America. with a, Like it was a genocide. So. Mm -hmm. And yeah, nowadays, like, it's, it's like we don't see it that way because, again, history is written by the victor. It's never mm -hmm. written by the person who loses. Yeah, that's true. And I think in Latin America, like, I would, I say Latin America because it's really center and South America more. Mm -hmm. Like, native or indigenous uh, people really, like, claim those rights much more than here, mm -hmm. I feel like. 
Yeah. And that's why the history is also told from their perspective. And it's getting to Spain too. Like the way history is told is not only from the Spain conquest, but also like what happened there and what, you know, what is not wanting to be told. And I don't know. And nowadays, like the languages are like, it's a political thing that they're really trying to, to study them. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's even happening in like Hong Kong, Taiwan, and like it, obviously it's like it used to be Cantonese or Mandarin, but then mm -hmm. it's like okay, but the people of Hong Kong can't speak a certain language. They take away their books, mm -hmm. take away their books. Now they can't read in that language, so now they're forced to read the the language that wants to be pushed onto them. Yeah, and like you said, that's how a lot of the storytelling gets done. The yeah. energy, the poetry, the history that they have is written through their books. Yeah. So then if you're not you take away their books, you take away their knowledge of their past. Mm -hmm. So then mm -hmm. you're almost deciphering you're taking the kids then when they grow up they don't have those Don Quixotes yeah, they don't exactly. have those classic pieces of literature for their environment so then mm -hmm. what happens to what they used to be who knows yeah exactly but that's where we come from really because even the Romans they did that exactly that they would even burn the the library down if uh, we don't know what was before Latin Uh, language in Spain like mm -hmm. we don't know these indigenous languages we know they were sp spoken but we don't know uh, what we speak now is really the product of the conquerors so yeah even in Egypt like the yeah. library of Alexandria and like mm -hmm. I was born in Alexandria exactly. so I remember when we go to it it's like super brand new and everything but mm -hmm. the original library definitely had way more different books mm -hmm. and again it was the Mediterranean but it was in the Mediterranean all those countries all those countries how powerful they were mm -hmm. you know like all the Italy Spain Portugal that has so much history there you know yeah. what I mean so it's like Middle East into the Mediterranean there's like loads and loads of history there so Library of Alexandria is like the middle ground of all of it so mm -hmm. imagining all that history was there then someone who was in power was like burn that down mm -hmm. you know but we see it as oh whatever but Everyone always says, like, I wonder what was in there. I wonder yeah, what kind of yeah. books were written in that in that library. Yeah. And it's cool because if you had to compare teaching now, because, like, you said you taught in France, you've taught – you teach in Germany as well, or you just teach at a German school in Spain? In Spain, yeah. Okay, yeah. so teaching in Spain, France, and America. Can you give mm -hmm. me, like, a diff, like a thing that you liked a lot about each place? Mm -hmm. mm, let me see. In France, um, well, it was less time, so it's true. And it was like also different ages, I think, because I did high school there, mm -hmm. more or less. And I really liked um, the the diversity, first of all, and the the um, how they like how they had like even psychological help at school. That was really really cool for the kids. Maybe also because it was a boarding school. But that was really, really good. Um, here, yeah, here it's different because it's university level, so it's a little different. But I really like how you can, in, at university, choose different subjects. Like you can really be studying music and biology that you couldn't do in, Euro in Europe. Like to be a, a music student and also be able to study another thing, like that's really cool yeah. to have a mi major and minor, like, yeah. And then in Spain, hmm, it's it's difficult to judge your own Energy. system. If you I had think. to, if you had to, yeah. Um, I think the value of the teacher is like in the German school is a little different because it's kind of a common. It's it has a little bit of the German system and the Spanish system, mm -hmm. but in Spanish school especially, I think discipline is a problem 
because the the figure of a teacher is not that uh, respected mm -hmm. not from the par not of the parents not from the, the students like it's a real problem it's they're like more undervalued than you think they should mm -hmm. be Mm -hmm. It's interesting because I've spoken to multiple teachers in America here as well, mm -hmm. and they've kind of noticed that as well, where like their opinion of a curriculum or what should happen in their classroom is mattering less and less as the years goes on. And how mm -hmm. a, a parent can come in and complain like, my kid should be in honors classes and should be this and this and you will yeah. not fail him. And then the kid doesn't fail. But I remember like, what, 20, 30 years ago, I guarantee you if a kid failed, they failed and no one can say anything. Yeah, exactly. I think it's everywhere. It's happening everywhere like that. Like parents have more and more... Like they feel like they can tell you what to do. And it's this kind of feeling where like the teacher is like doing a service for mm -hmm. somebody like because the the parents are like paying you or they feel like they're paying you. Mm -hmm. uh, the, you can like you have to do what they tell you almost like yeah. as if it's just a service you're rendering like. And it's, it's not very... about like a relationship with a kid to actually learn and become a better mm -hmm. thinker and become a better like leader of their future, you know? Like, yeah, exactly. Because they always say like the cliche, kids are the future. But mm -hmm. it's true. Like, a, like you said, a good teacher inspired you to be a good teacher. Mm -hmm. But imagine how many people then won't have a good teacher in their life now. Because nowadays, if they're getting underpaid and undervalued, then why would someone who cares a lot go somewhere where they're not welcome? Where their mm -hmm. energy is not accepted with the energy they're putting in. They'll feel like yeah. they're getting cheated. You know, we were putting in all this energy. They love the kids, et cetera, et cetera. But they don't get to mm -hmm. put their effort and their worth and value into it. So then mm -hmm. you're not going to get the best teachers all the time. You're going to get yeah. the teachers who are there just to get a little paycheck and leave. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading this article and it was explaining when you become a police officer or you become mm -hmm. a fireman. You become this. Whatever whatever you be, say you become a surgeon, right? They don't, do you buy your own scalpel? Do you buy your own – everything? Is it all your own stuff? Or does the hospital provide those things? Mm -hmm. When you're a police officer, do you buy your own weapons and armor and this? Or does the police academy offer that to you? I, mm -hmm. you know, so on and so forth, right? But yeah. as a teacher, you're supposed to buy all the classroom equipment. You're supposed to do this. You're mm -hmm. supposed to buy the books, the markers, the make your classroom look whatever it needs to look like. Yeah. But then – Why are we not giving the same energy and respect to our teachers who are literally teaching the future generations of mm -hmm. our society and culture? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and coming back to uh, the the good thing about the Spanish system, because I I just focused on the bad thing. Um, I think because of that problem of discipline, that teachers um, are more prepared and more motivated. Like somebody who wants to be a teacher even if there is like a, it's a big challenge, yeah. are people who are really motivated and really want to do it. So they're like, I think more prepared and more, yeah, more willing to, yeah. to do it. So that's, no, that's awesome. Yeah. So kind of going off that, what is something in life that you've done that you generally feel like you're proud of like being where you are? Mm -hmm. I would say the, the Fulbright scholarship, first of all, because it's something that I, Like I worked like to to get it, and in the moment I got it, it was like I didn't even realize what it meant, and and I didn't even want to in the moment because it, yeah. it was like it was more like a surprise to to get that. So, um, I would say the Fulbright scholarship, and also it, it opened my mind a lot to a new like education system to be able to be one year on in America and. And get and, you and to the end. And, like, and yeah. when you're here, like, it's a whole new experience. And when you go mm -hmm. to somewhere else and learn another thing, the best feeling, you know, like, yeah, I remember traveling yeah. abroad and living in England for six months. 
changed my life. And yeah. just being in a different environment, seeing different people, different cultures, societies, yeah, it makes yeah. you start thinking about yourself more and your culture more. Yeah. So then you become almost loving your, your part of you, who you are more. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, exactly. That reminds me of a writer who said, like, the distance clears your mind. And it's exactly that. When you are not in your country, you realize things about your country that you didn't even think before. Like, mm -hmm. you see it differently because you have this, yeah. like, critical distance. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Yeah. I was positive say, until that goes away. I'll cut mm. this part out. Just in case it picks yeah, up. It's not yeah. going to pick up, but just in case. Yeah, we're doing good on time so far. Yeah, I'm going to go into now asking you, um, like, what is something most people don't know about you? And getting okay. Far. So then, what is something you think that most people don't know about you? Um, I think it's my faith. Because in Spain, like, I think f faith or concretely, like, to be Christian or Catholic, is it's a little stigmatized. Mm -hmm. Because we have a history where the civil, during the civil war, the church, like, had a clear position. And since then, it's, it has, like, a even political value. So, yeah, like, nowadays, nobody really talks about what they believe. Or if you believe, you don't say it, kind of, which is sad because... I feel like here people are really free to express themselves as you are a Christian, if you're Muslim, if you're not, like people just say it or even wear it. Like, yeah, I feel that is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, that's interesting because I know that, again, like religious freedom, right, is as a whole thing. Mm -hmm. I always tend to think like no matter where I am, that's who I am. Like it's part of my faith, yeah. my values, my morals. That's where I get like my wholeheartedness. You know, it's like I look back onto it and I'm like, okay, where did I get my morals, my values? Do I get it from the internet or mm -hmm. do I get it from the creator? You know, it's like, do I get it from yeah. scripture? Do I get it from, those, again, like the Ten Commandments, for example? Or do you get it from the ten things to do as a lifestyle influencer on TikTok mm -hmm. or on Instagram? Mm -hmm. You know, so it's what you soak, soak up basically is what you become. So it's like when people yeah. are religious and they follow these values, no matter what religion it is in the entire world, all the religions and all this mm -hmm. thing, if you actually follow it, you're going to be a good person. You know, mm -hmm. and it's whatever it is, be a good one of whatever you are. You know, it's like if it's like, oh, I'm a Christian, be a Christian. You know, it's like if I'm Muslim, yeah. be a Muslim. It's like don't say you are something and then not follow whatever it tells you. Yeah, you like act how you think and how you believe, right? Like, And faith is, again, like you said, like you have to stigmatize in Europe and stuff. Even here in America, like people say, oh, yeah, I'm Christian or yeah, I'm this. I celebrate this or I do this. But then you actually look at how they're acting and they're not acting like a quote-unquote true Christian or a true Muslim. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. make sure you act like what you claim you are. Yeah. You know, if I was like, hey, like, I'm a painter. And then me, me and you go paint. And you're like, this kid cannot paint. Like, what are you doing? This yeah. is terrible. Like, this yeah. isn't painting. Or, hey, I can play the violin too. Mm -hmm. let's, do a, let's do a quartet together. And I'm playing. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm terrible. You're like, okay, so you didn't act. You're not actually one. So why is it not the yeah. same thing with our values and our faith? Exactly. It's a little hypocritical, but it's like some people really say that, they, how you said, like, I'm Christian, and then they even do it worse for Christian people, because it's like, they don't give example of what it is. But mm -hmm. like, that makes also people think like, okay, that's not what I want. If if they don't see a good example of, of whatever yeah. that is, then mm -hmm. it goes away. And what's like a reason as to like, why you've decided Again, in an area where it might not be looked on as, yes, yes, do it. Mm -hmm. What made you kind of hold on to your faith? I think um, that's something, well, f my family, I think, helped. Because it's something that, like, my my mother transmitted me. And that's how I, I always, like, practiced because of that. Because my mom 
um, showed me and, and we would like pray together and stuff like that. So I think mainly because of that. Okay. Like that, like the the making rituals together always helps like to maintain that. Mm-hmm. And like family bonding too. It's like mm-hmm. a, a unity. And mm-hmm. something that I always noticed and I talk about with even in Islam, it's like when I go to Friday prayer, I'm going to pray with all my brothers and sisters, you know, and we're mm-hmm. all standing in congregation together. Whether you're yeah. black, white, Hispanic, it doesn't, exactly. ma- doesn't matter. You're mm-hmm. there to pray to God. Mm-hmm. And you're all there for the same reason. And that com- sense of community is like what keeps us together. But nowadays, yeah. we're living in a hyper-individualistic society. Yeah. So if you're part of that, everyone looks at you as like, oh, my God, that's weird. Like, why are you in this group thing? You know, it's, mm-hmm. oh, you're just doing that because mind control. They're just controlling you. But yeah. then yeah. what's controlling you? Oh, money. How people? Mm-hmm. How many people are controlled over money? And something else I remember you telling about this is that what rules the world and what runs the world isn't money but sensibility. So I kind of wanted you to kind of explain that a little bit to me. Yeah, I think like uh, people are like obsessed with the idea of money, money, money. But really, that's why I also believe in art, because I think like sensibility changes the world and sensibility moves the world, really. Like what what really an individual talks to another and uh, like how you express yourself and how like art works, like that is really what changes and what makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And the thing is funny about art is if you someone draws like a stick figure and it puts it up on a wall, that's worth mm-hmm. what? Whatever the stick figure was, the time I spent. But over 10 years, 30 years, that person passes away, 100 years, 300 years. Now that piece of art is like memorialized. Like, oh my God, that's worth $100 million now. Mm-hmm. Even with art like, art, like we said, like the Mona Lisa, right? There's people that can draw way better art than the Mona Lisa if you just look at it, right? It's, it's a nice painting, right? Yeah. But it's not like it's the most perfect photo no, ever and every. Yeah what what gave it the value it's the authenticity it's whatever value that came from it the whole time and just grows mm-hmm. and grows and grows so yeah but someone looked at it right away and was like oh it's a cool painting good job but mm-hmm. you know even like van gogh all these different artists and different people a lot of them ended up making their money when they weren't even here anymore yeah so it kind of goes to show like that re- it moves people it's an emotion and nowadays people forget like emotion runs things like if so, you can control someone's emotions you can control them Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they always say, like, control the head, control the beast. Yeah. So, same yeah. mentality, right? Yeah, yeah. I think there is, like, a part to art, too, where it's, like, more, like, business thing. Like, you're selling art and you're selling the value, too. Like, mm-hmm. that's also, like, um, you can say, like, this is a three million uh, piece of art and it's really, like, a banana hanging, like, from the wall. Yeah. And and there that exists. Like, that's <laughs> that's contemporary art. So there's this kind of art where people want to make money of it, which I think always was like that. Mm-hmm. But there is also like, and that happens to Mona Lisa too a little bit. Like she's that famous just because she was like stolen a few times from the museum and stuff. Like it's still a piece of art and very valuable, but it made it even more valuable to like to have a story it to it. Stolen, yeah. yeah. And there is like this other type of art where you like need to codify and uh, you're really like, yeah, crea- creating symbols and uh, playing with words, for example, or, and yeah. No, like that's it's, awesome. Yeah. Hmm. It's it's interesting because even for me, like I suck at, I can't draw. I'm, I'm the person who draws mm-hmm. stick figures and tries to pretend they know how to draw, but really can't. But I always like looked at people who can draw. And I'm like, wow, they're literally able to create like they can look at a landscape and draw the trees and the butterflies and the birds and it looks so real, like almost like it's jumping out of the page. Mm-hmm. And that's such a, like, a talent, like a skill. And yeah. I think about it as like you can't put a price on that sometimes, like capturing a moment. 
And yeah. everyone's like, oh, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? But how easy now just to like, capture picture, 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 right? Mm-hmm. But we forget like the beauty of what a picture used to be. It used to be me and you yeah. had to sit still for an hour for someone to draw mm-hmm. us, yeah. you know? Yeah. No, that's actually interesting because I think that's changing also the way art is right now because if if um talent is not much so much worth anymore because you can create any picture uh, and you don't need to like really draw it so it's like talent doesn't matter so much than maybe a hundred years ago. So everybody can just design or digitally make something that is mm-hmm. amazing and so it's more about being creative than being really talented for real mm-hmm. and it's interesting because uh i know like obviously like ChatGPT, the mid journeys all these different mm-hmm. ais and softwares can draw things for you, you type i want that draws it for you like that it gives you 10 different examples of the exact thing you wanted mm-hmm. and then you keep saying okay no i want it to be a little more green makes it a little more green for you and want, mm-hmm. but that just takes what just typing yeah but it doesn't take creativity Really, you're typing, you're asking what you want, but you didn't come up with it, right? So it's yeah. not like that authentic piece of art. And it's even like in handwriting, right? Like how often in schools do you, I want to ask this, do you teach handwriting in your school at all? Well, they already know how to write when I, like they're like old enough already. Mm-hmm. So like fifth grade, they, they already, but mm-hmm. yeah, they write in classes. Okay. Yeah. Do they also learn, like, I don't know if there's cursive in Spanish, but is mm-hmm. there a cursive? Yeah, so yeah. there is, like, a cursive class still, or does that not exist in the younger kids anymore? Yeah, there is still, yeah. In America, they don't do it anymore. No? They don't even teach in middle school. They don't even teach, like, on a clock, like, analog. Oh. They don't teach the analog. Yeah. Everything's digital. So no, why no, teach no, that that is still taught. And yeah. that's interesting. That's, like, I wanted to ask that question because I know I ask teachers here that do mm-hmm. they teach this. And they don't, they don't even teach um, nickel, dime, uh, mm-hmm. dollar, half dollar, quarter. They don't teach each unit yeah. in classes like they used to anymore either. And I'm like, why? And in Florida, they don't teach uh, reading as a reading is an elective mm. in Florida. And it's like, okay, yeah, it so should be like obligatory for y- everybody y- to right. Yeah, and it's crazy because when you hear the, how like a teacher like lives in Spain talks about it versus here, it's like I'm noticing certain things are held like this is what we do. This mm-hmm. is what makes us us. We will learn English no matter what. We will learn our native tongue. But yeah. how many people who are born in America who their mom and dad speak, say, Spanish or Arabic, they don't even speak the language. Took one generation. Now they don't even speak their native tongue. That's such a pity. That's like really not valuing what you have. Because mm-hmm. that's a America. whole culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's weird because I always wondered, like, in at least in my school system, the first year you can start learning a language is seventh grade. Mm-hmm. But seventh grade to start learning a language is, I personally think it's, it's too a little late. It's yeah. late. Like you could learn a language anytime, anytime in the world, right? Anytime mm-hmm. in your life, mm-hmm. right? But when you're like four, five, six, seven, you're learning things like a sponge. Mm-hmm. It's like, like that. You'll learn really quick. And if you say you have two parents, one who speaks one language, one who speaks another, you will learn those languages like overnight almost because yeah. you're just hearing yeah. it and your brain picks it up and boom. That's the best way, yeah, to learn it. And now you yeah. see that, and I'm like, wow, like it's cool to see how Europe and America how different like the two different school yeah. systems are. Yeah. Still, I think there's a common thing, and that just students read less and less because social media. Mm-hmm. I think it's a big distraction, and that's what makes students and teenagers in general to read less. And I think that's common, like in, in yeah. everywhere, it's happening everywhere because it's technology. Yeah, and. I remember reading some, an article that was explaining that kids don't read anymore because yeah, they'll read on their yeah. phone. They'll look, they look at Instagram, TikTok. And they, that's why they they are also, they have a harder time like uh, like understanding the texts. 
comprehension, which, yeah. Yeah, which uh, for me it's crazy because some texts are not even that difficult and sometimes like a ninth grader are, are, is not understanding what he's reading and that's really like alarming a little bit. Like you need to, like if you're not understanding a text then you can be easily manipulated. Like mm -hmm. that's what, and it's even more important now that they have like social media technologies to even be more aware of Yeah, to be critical, to be questioning. Mm -hmm. No, that's awesome. And going off that, where do you think the world will be going in like five years? Mm -hmm. I'm a little pessimistic, but I'm also I also have hope. Um, I know, like with the climate change, like I think if we don't do anything right now, um, it's going to be a bad world we're mm -hmm. living living for for our kids. I think um, that's why. It has to change. Something has to change. Like we cannot continue like that. And mm -hmm. I'm talking not only about the climate change, but also about the economic system, about um, the injustice uh, in in wealthy countries. Like that shouldn't go on like that. Like we're creating a horrible world. And um, what is happening? Like with with the Amazonas. Like every day, ten uh, stadiums of uh, like football uh, football stadiums are being cut. Like trees are being cut like that, like it's horrible. Yeah. But yeah, that's why I really have hope that it will change if everybody comes together and as a community, like to do a common change. But yeah. No, I love that. And it's interesting because people don't realize that, like, if we don't have this world and we're destroying it, we're just destroying ourselves because we only have one world. We can't, there's, we're not going to Mars. Mm -hmm. Mars is not inhabitable, mm -hmm. and it will never be inhabitable. Nor do I want to hop on a, exactly. a spaceship and go over to Mars and figure it out. Yeah. I will not be one of those people. So when you look at like how the world, everyone's like, oh, we're having an overcrowded problem. Oh, we have this. Oh, we have that. The world is huge. We do not have an overcrowded population. Mm -hmm. You know, like you can drive for miles and miles and miles through America and see nothing. Yeah. You know, so it's like clearly there's places, there's room for things. But I think people forget it's like what we're doing to our oceans. Like when you throw plastic into the water, mm -hmm. those microplastics, then we consume. Apparently we're eating up to two credit cards each a year. I know. Yeah, they say they recommend not to eat fish more than once a week just because of the plastic mm -hmm. on it. Like that's crazy that the, the the animals themselves are eating so much plastic that we can't eat mm -hmm. what we were used to like. And it breaks down in the water. So when they're just obviously, when they breathe, obviously they're breathing water. So mm -hmm. they're ingesting plastic, putting out plastic. So then the fish itself becomes poisoned. So mm -hmm. then we eat that fish, then we become poisoned yeah. slowly yeah. and slowly and slowly. And then when it comes down to like, again, like our generational gaps, they say that when men, right, will have like these microplastics, it messes with their testosterone levels. It says when women eat it, they mess with their estrogen levels. And if it's messing with yeah, our yeah. sexual okay. hormone levels, then what happens when we have kids, it's harder to have kids now. More people are infertile, men and women. Exactly. And then when it happens when you have the kid, there's complications more often. So you mm -hmm. have to be healthier. But the healthy food costs more. And if the healthy exactly. food costs more, that and it's all these problems that go back to how we treat the world. But mm -hmm. it's not how me and you treat the world. It's how the people or the corporations are treating the world. How they're dumping yeah. everything in the ocean because it's cheaper that way you make more money we make more profits yeah but yeah. if we chase the money like you said and not sensibility mm -hmm. look what's gonna happen it's gonna hurt the population that's why like it's it's a problem because really you can't uh, do it alone 
Mm-hmm. That's also the problem of like just recycling. If you're the only one, then uh, sorry, but it's what you said. It's the corporations who need to really change something. If like the the whole uh, pollution comes mainly from cruiser ships, which are like like the five more important cruiser companies mm-hmm. are responsible for the pollution of uh, what would be like all the cars in Germany. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy that really they should like we should all come together to protest against some things yeah which yeah no that's interesting and where do you think the world is with social media and phones and as a teacher right like just year by year by year do you think that the phones are going to damage the way the kids learn and do you think it's already affected them and do you think that in five Mm -hmm. years it's going to be like way worse and if so how much worse I think it affects the way they read, the way they understand the world, um, they, and the way they they interact with each other. Even like I think it it really affects uh, everything around their education, especially their critical mindset. For example, if uh, they go on Instagram, for example, or TikTok, the logarithm makes them just f- the feedback of what they want to see, what they want to feel. So it's really they will not see anything that is not what they already think so it's it's more difficult to create a critical mindset or an open mindset if they are already like very convinced of what they think mm-hmm. without even maybe being ignorant really because they they don't know of any other uh, point of view but yeah it makes the also like a fake belief of uh I know about the world just because you are connected to the world and you see videos of maybe the other part of the world, but you are not really, it's only what you want to see. So, And only what you've been exposed to. Because mm-hmm. if I'm watching the news or this or this or whatever this thing is about Spain, okay, all I know about Spain is this clip they show me. Okay, what do they show me? They show me La Sagrada Familia being built. Okay, cool. That's what Spain looks like everywhere. Mm-hmm. But does it? No. Exactly. You know, it makes people more generalizing things and more, um, yeah, it makes stereotypes like more stronger. And mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's so I think it's changing the world, the way they learn, especially what I said about reading, like um, it's harder for them to concentrate. I feel like the attention span is always every time less and less. Mm-hmm. So I feel as a teacher, sometimes I'm more an entertainer mm-hmm. than a teacher because they you have to they keep them really, hooked and keep them engaged. Exactly. So if they are bored ten after ten minutes, I need to come up with an idea to make them really see that it's something they should care about. So mm-hmm. it's more difficult in yeah. that sense. Yeah. Okay. So what's an unpopular opinion you might have? Mm-hmm. Um, so one of them is um, I would probably ban um, porn mm-hmm. at all and probably also the, the limit the access to teenagers to social media at all because mm-hmm. I don't think it, you're really free doing it you're you're free when you already know something and you you can know about the content and like distinguish one thing and another but I really see what it does to the students and like how it affects like relationships and how it affects like the way they they see um yeah their their peers even how yeah. they so yeah I agree with you uh, to me that's not unpopular to me because I literally was just telling someone that like pornography and like even like 
masturbation with pornography, all these things, it rewires the brain in ways that damages you, like heroin damages you. And they've yeah. seen like gr- gr- there's even graphs. an addiction. Yeah. Like the, people get addicted to it, and especially teenagers. Like there's a high percentage. Like in Spain, it's unpopular to say it because in some schools there are like social workers saying to the students. For me, that's crazy, but saying like they should watch porn like as a sexual education, and that is that should not be like. Yeah. Because yeah, that's not even like what sex is. Like people forget sex is supposed to be when the man or woman or whoever wants mm-hmm. to. But realistically speaking, biologically speaking, it's to create new life. Mm-hmm. When animals do it, they're doing it to create new life. Obviously, as humans, we're allowed to and we should do it also for pleasure. But people forget that the main purpose of it is to keep our society going. If mm-hmm. everyone stopped having sex, your generation would die in one generation. Yeah, right? That's so true. that's the main purpose of this thing, right? But when we watch, if you watch pornography and stuff, that's not what love is, right? That's so, that's yeah, just lust. Yeah, it's, it's, all it's completely, lust. yeah, completely separated from love and from affection at mm-hmm. all. Like, that's the thing. It's very centered, very man centered also. Mm-hmm. 100%. And um, also, like, there's like no care. It's mm-hmm. just the bodies and just the, the man's pleasure in this case. So. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, and many times it's also exploitation behind, which oh, like, nobody wants to talk about. But yeah, the it's industry is very... so wicked. I watched like a documentary on it, yeah. how wicked the industry is, and what it does to all mm-hmm. the workers who are in it. Because again, some of them do it out of their force too. At this point, they've yeah. gotten into it and they thought that this would make them easy money. But then how their life turned out. And granted, everyone can look at it and be like, "Well, duh, like I told you so." But it's yeah, you never know in their perspective why they stepped into it, anyways. You know, and like I tend to think like, "Yeah, I can look at it and be like, that's wrong." But mm-hmm. I can't just 100% judge this person unless they see that it was wrong. And they're like, I wish I could have taken it all back. Yeah, exactly. You know? Especially actresses mm-hmm. like who come out of that world and like uh, say that how they were treated. That's uh, especially because it's such an intimate thing that uh, it's it's difficult to put the line and worse like the mistreatment, mistreatment and mm-hmm. yeah. And it's cool. It's interesting because. Even when it comes down to like pornography, right? Like obviously there's websites and where that exists and it's easy to access them. But the crazy thing is, is now it's so easy to access behind a phone and it can be so privately done. But mm-hmm. back then, not even that long ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you had to go to a store that sold this, that mm-hmm. you went and bought this thing for one piece of content to then take it home, right? But there was a sense of shame in going yeah, there, exactly. buying it, going into the store in general, mm-hmm. then leaving. So because it was, there was a barrier of entry and it was more shameful to do it, you yeah, didn't want someone like to catch you doing it. Yeah. You don't yeah, want someone to catch like, you doing it. Mm-hmm. So most people didn't do it. But now because it's so accessible, no one's there more to people check do you. It. Yeah. No one's there to yeah. check you and tell you, what are you doing? Because it's so easy to be on a phone, open it, close it, clear yeah. history. Yeah. That, no, that's not so how it's so normalized also like because of that. like It's green light. Like Everybody can just do it on their phone. Yeah. And when you're a kid and you see other kids talking about it, <laughs> right? mm-hmm. but then that's how you're going to treat women around you. When you right, starting from what, seventh mm-hmm. grade, sixth grade? I remember talking to people. They first saw it in like fifth grade, fourth grade. And I'm like, that mm-hmm. is so young to be exposed yeah. to that type yeah. of content. And if you were to be exposed to that content of like love and kissing and hugging and caring about someone, mm-hmm. it's different than you're seeing someone, again, like I said, man's perspective of pleasure, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this woman do rough and tough and blah, blah, blah. All these like hyper things. Like that's not what real love looks like. That's yeah. just, again, yeah. like the illusion of what you think it is. But then that's how you're going to speak to women then. That's how you're going to yeah. think you're going to treat a woman yeah. the first time you talk to her. Yeah, exactly. And that's wrong. It generates behaviors. 
around it. Yeah. And again, I agree with that. Like, definitely clearing that out. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. another thing I remember you talking to me about was charity programs. Can you talk about? Yeah. Um, so I would also say like a charity program should not exist in general. Because for me, that shows that the system has a hole, like a gap in the system. Like that is something that should not exist because in a perfect society Mm -hmm. that should not be taken care of volunteering people who uh, want to uh, make the society better. Mm -hmm. That should take care, like the the state or the government should take care of those things Mm -hmm. or uh, like these injustices. Because they have all the money, they have all the power to do it like that. So for me, that shows that something is wrong. Like mm-hmm. there's a failure of the system. Yeah. If there is like so many charity, um, yeah, charity volunteering programs. And organizations. Yeah. But most people, at least in America, I don't know how it is in other Which countries. I, like I do. I do volunteer for it. But at the same time, it shows me like, wow, that it's so bad that that. It's so broken that you need thing. me to come do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and even in America, I've, I don't know how it is in like other countries, but I know that a lot of the times when these rich people open up charities and stuff and foundations, they mm-hmm. do it and they donate. Oh, he donated a billion dollars to this foundation that he actually owns. And when you donate to a foundation in America with a tax code, the way it works is you're going to get that whole billion as a write-off. Without taxes. Yeah. So you're not paying taxes on the billion. But obviously everyone's like, okay, but if it goes to that foundation, you have to pay it. You're yeah. right. But the rule is you don't have to pay it all at once. You can pay it off in increments, mm. 2% a yeah. year, 5% a year. What? You know, it's like you're not actually giving that money. That's the same everywhere. Right? So then you're giving that money, right? When you donate that money, you're giving to the foundation. That foundation then is giving money to schools. Okay, good job. You're giving schools. But they looked at some people who give money. They're giving it to the rich private schools in New York that Mm -hmm. they in turn went to. Okay, but that private school has so much money already that's going into their program. So it's the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Exactly. It's the the money in a circle, going in a circle. And just me handing it to my friend. And my friend Mm -hmm. hands it back to me later. Yeah. That's the problem. And it's like and that's what make many people not donate because you see that some are corrupt, some organizations are not really reliable. Mm-hmm. Like what do they do with the money? Like it's complicated. Yeah. And again, yeah. I know something like I guess like in Islam that I've learned is that you donate two point five percent of like your net worth or your wealth mm-hmm. every year. And the ideal way to do it is to like buy like again food for people directly like if you, if you literally buy a goat and that goat getting, yeah, gets like killed yeah like you see sp- the result and you see what you're mm-hmm. doing exactly and i remember yeah. like asking my dad I'm like dad like how does this work how does because you're younger you're asking questions like how does why only 2.5 percent because it's supposed to be small enough that it's not hard for you to do it but mm-hmm. enough that if everyone was giving that exact amount there would be no world hunger there would be no poverty there would be That's no so problems true, yeah. and 2.5 percent isn't a lot you yeah. know so you make what you make $100,000 a year, two, yeah. two and a half grand, yeah. that's nothing. You know, you make 100000 2.5, nothing. Yeah. But nowadays, that's like hard for people to even give. Yeah. You know, and in something. But you could even give time. Like. Yeah, because your time is still worth it. Yeah. Just standing in line in a soup kitchen and giving mm-hmm. people meals. Mm-hmm. It's worth it, you know. It's, I do like that a lot. I like that you kind mm-hmm. of have that perspective because some people probably looking at you like, what do you mean you don't want charities to exist? But yeah. the reason is like pretty accurate. But I know because I was in a charity myself, like I did like volunteering in a charity program that was like for to help kids with a, like complicated background to do their homework. And mm-hmm. I was just giving time and like helping them. Right. So it's like you don't need to be having money to mm-hmm. really help. So. Yeah, no, I like that. And yeah. so I'm the only I always ask every guest, what is the word you want to learn in Arabic? And the word you asked for was empathy. Mm-hmm. And if I had to translate it directly, a word that like we use for empathy is Haneya. 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 Perfect. Mm-hmm. And again, can you speak Spanish in other languages? Yeah, it's it's easy for you to say it. But Haneya is like, 
it almost means like gentleness or softness. Mm-hmm. But like when you say it in like senses, it means that it's like have some haneya. It's like have some empathy, like have some care that's about it. That's beautiful. Yeah. So that's how you say that. And I always ask, what's your favorite quote? So can mm-hmm. you tell me a little about your favorite quote? Yeah, my favorite quote is, um, it comes from Latin, Amo Ergo Sum, but really it's said, uh, it's from an English poet, uh, mm-hmm. Ethra Pound, and he, um, and it means, I love, therefore I am. And for me, it's important because it's like, where you put your love, it's wha- who you are, really. Mm-hmm. Like, it uh, it makes you, you. Like, where wh- what you love makes you, you. So, mm-hmm. no, I, I really believe that. Yeah, no, I like that. And again, it's like, People always say it's like if you want to become something, just be that thing. Like you almost mm-hmm. step into it. And it's like when you have self-positive talk, you love yourself, you believe in yourself, you'll achieve whatever that thing is. Mm-hmm. So it kind of even means and resembles that as well. But no, I really yeah. like that. Yeah. No, I just want to thank you again for stepping thank onto the podcast too. and being here. It's been awesome to talk to you and I hope Same nothing but the best me. for you. Yeah, thank you. Of course. Much. So thank you guys again for tuning in to another episode of the Oli Canoa Show. Today again, we had Laura. So again, she came all the way from Spain to do this podcast. So again, please give her a bunch of friendly comments down below. And I really appreciate you guys. And I'll see you guys next time. See you later.